TED Audio Collective. There are times, whether in your personal life or in your career, when it feels like things are just not working. Maybe you should split up or get another job. But then a breakthrough happens. You have a heart-to-heart that clears the air. Or surprise, your boss gives you a bonus. It turns out she did appreciate your work on that project. Or maybe you just decide to stop banging your head against a wall. Get on with it. It's like you have a moment of enlightenment and your relationship or your work begins moving forward again. That moment, my friends, is the fourth phase of the hype cycle. Hi, I'm Anoush Samarodi, and we have been tracking each phase of the hype cycle here on season three of ZigZag, one phase per episode. If you're new here, the hype cycle is a diagram that tracks the five stages any big idea or innovation has to pass through to succeed. It looks kind of like a roller coaster, lots of highs and lows. On the last episode, we talked about phase three, the very depressing, but I do love the name, trough of disillusionment, as it's called. Jen and I, my co-founder, we have been feeling like we have been in the trough of disillusionment. Starting a business is really hard. But on this episode, hallelujah, we are moving on to phase four. It is called the slope of enlightenment. This is when an innovation or product starts to become real. Some of the kinks are getting worked out. It's not just an idea. People have actually started hearing about it, maybe even using it. For example, tech analysts say that virtual reality has just entered the slope of enlightenment phase. And actually, Jen and I have some big news that we think is going to get us climbing up that slope, too. We will fill you in at the end of the show. But here's where we're going to go first. All this season, we've been looking at blockchain and how it is tracking the hype cycle. And a question that has come up over and over again is, Is blockchain a disaster for the environment? Could that environmental issue with this technology be the very reason why it doesn't succeed? We're going to find out today. And from the macro, we'll go to the micro. Back to the North Country, upstate New York, where a couple of towns are experimenting with these wild new technologies, and where we have actually found that there is some enlightenment happening. Today, what are you seeing here? You're seeing this place alive. Stick with us. Zigzag will be right back after this quick bill-paying break. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. We're back. It's Zigzag. I'm Manoush, and I have read the headlines. I have seen the scary stats about how much energy Bitcoin and blockchain generally consume. 
And that is why I called up environmental economist Katrina Kelly-Pitou. Katrina is a faculty researcher at the University of Pittsburgh Swanson School of Engineering. And she has got a pragmatic view on the issue of climate change and what we can do to slow it down right now and how it relates to blockchain. I, as a researcher, have focused on clean energy for a long time, but also as a professional, uh, I've worked in clean energy policy. So you wrote an article a few months ago with the headline, Stop Worrying About (laughs) How Much Energy Bitcoin Uses, considering the bad rap that Bitcoin and blockchain generally have gotten when it comes to energy use. That's a pretty controversial headline. Can you tell me about what you wrote? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was hearing a lot of people kind of from an energy standpoint broadly just banging on about there's new technologies that are arising. We need to be really drastically worried about them. And as someone who has spent you know, the duration of my academic and professional career now analyzing how the world can reduce our carbon consumption, specifically how the United States can fit within it, I was a little bit dismayed to hear kind of a technology that currently takes up just a little tiny sliver of our global energy consumption just being pointed out as the bad guy when we've got really a lot more work to do on a lot bigger issues from a decarbonization standpoint. So it's interesting to hear you say that because the stories you hear is that, oh, the amount of energy used to run Bitcoin is the same as the entire nation of Austria or Ireland or, I don't know, choose your European country. Let me read this one to you. If Bitcoin is adopted at rates similar to other technologies like credit cards, it could increase global temperatures by two degrees Celsius by 2033. That was a study published a few months ago in Nature Climate Change. And so... All of these things where people are like, oh, I don't know, blockchain sounds cool, but these headlines make me think that we may not be on the planet to enjoy the benefits of blockchain (laughs) because of that. Can you just lay out, like, what is the deal? I think, you know, whenever we talk about Bitcoin and blockchain, new technologies overall are always kind of the, the new exciting thing to talk about, right? Like, it's much more exciting to talk about things that are just getting invented that no one knows about than it is to talk about how much kind of your car contributes to climate change right now, how much (laughs) your daily actions contribute to climate change. But I think you also, you know, need to take a step back and say, yeah, but what is contributing right now as humans, as our own actions? What are the technologies that we use right now that we know are going to have serious repercussions in the world? Bitcoin certainly is something that we need to be worried about, you know, in 50 years. But there's quite a lot of things that we need to worry about that are heavily contributing to the world of carbon emissions right now that we're just absolutely avoiding talking about and understanding. And transportation, our buildings, and our overall lifestyles are the number one contributor to them. But I think it's easier to talk about how you can kind of eliminate an industry that's 0.1% of the overall technology world instead of talking about how do we dramatically structure or restructure, you know, our society as we know it. It's much harder ask. So you're saying almost like instead of saying, oh, those people who are running crypto mining rigs and generating all this heat, what about the fact that they own three cars and that Americans are flying more than they've ever flown or many cities don't have recycling plans or all those other things? Exactly. When you really look at Bitcoin and you're kind of like, eh, in terms of energy, yeah, it could become, you know, the big bad guy in the world in 10 years or whatever it is. 
But there's also a trend that we're seeing now that's kind of been in just the past two years, which is to see Bitcoin miners moving to locations that are really supplied by their power from hydro dams. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk a little bit about hydro. How do we keep our lights on? How do we use our energy? And you know, what is this relation to Bitcoin? A technology, no matter what it is, whether it's plane, train, automobile, is only going to be as dirty as the fuel content that it consumes. So Hmm. the cleaner fuels you use, cleanest on the spectrum, obviously, are renewables. You also have hydro. You have nuclear, really low carbon density. Then you have the opposite end of the spectrum, right? You have coal, and then we've got gas in the middle. But whenever you look at that kind of spectrum overall and you say, okay, what is Bitcoin using to actually produce its Bitcoins overall? I'm not certain that we're 100% able to judge what its electricity consumption is going to be in 10 years. We see Iceland, we see the United States and kind of the Northwest becoming big areas where people are mining. Yeah. And those areas are areas that are supplied by hydropower. And that's a gigantic difference from a few years ago. But we do know that the big problem that people are talking about is the geographic specifics of where Bitcoins are being produced. An initial concern was specifically looking at China, which still has quite a lot of carbon emissions and uses a largely coal-based power generation system. So the who in terms of technology is just as important as the what and the where. What type of power are they using and where are they using it? It's fascinating. So we, as part of the series that we've been doing, we sent our producer upstate to Messina, New York. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's one of those towns that gets most of its electricity from the hydro, the dam that's nearby. Cool. It is cool, but there's Plattsburgh, there's Messina, and you hear these local, these municipalities struggling and trying to figure it out. Like, should we give them direct access to the electricity from the dam at the lowest rate possible? Should they have to buy it on the open market like everyone else? Is this good for the economy of our little towns? Is this bad for the economy? Like, there's this struggle going on with, like, understanding how much energy to give them, the economic incentives, whether it's going to bring jobs back to the region. Mm. And right now it feels like, oh, this might be just fake money and it's a mirage. On the other hand, maybe it's not. We don't know. It's a, like you said, it's a very tricky question. As humans, we don't focus enough on understanding how much time and how many unique type of skill sets it takes to kind of navigate this hugely complex world of energy management. And when you plunk that down on a municipality like Plattsburgh, for instance, you're giving the entire market formation of a gigantic economic issue. You're resting that pressure on the on the weight of municipal leaders. So when you're talking about Bitcoin specifically, there needs to be that unique evaluation. How much energy am I actually able to supply as a municipality? How does this impact my overall goals? How does this impact my states maybe? And how much can we actually afford for these bit miners to build? I'm a big fan of putting pressure on the people who consume it. So if you want to continue supplying Bitcoins, you know, please go for it. But in the absence of clean power, you also will be charged with taking part in helping us build, finance, own, and operate the renewable energy entities that we need to make sure that technology production is staying clean and green. So is it fair to say then that the electricity demands to run blockchain technology are quite extreme right now, but renewable energy could mitigate the worst effects. 
I think Bitcoin itself is largely energy intensive. Blockchain comparatively is not as bad as Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is really the technology that stands out there. Because of the mining. Because of the mining itself, just how much computational power it takes to mine one of those coins itself. When you talk about it in that aspect, of course, it's energy intensive. But I would say every technology is intensive at its beginning part of its career. That's literally how technologies begin. Ah. Here's an example of something. Fuel cells right now, hugely expensive to operate as an entity, so they're economically intensive, but it's simply due to economies of scale, right? The more we have of it, the cheaper it gets. And the economics of Bitcoin on the power consumption side are just as applicable to the discussion as the technology evaluation. So you're saying, like right now I read another fun stat, which said a single Bitcoin transaction is so energy intensive that it could power the average U.S. household for a month. And you're saying, well, yeah, that's true now because the technology is so nascent that um, if it were to use renewables, if it were to get to a scale where the, the technology to actually run the mining rigs gets more efficient itself, we could get to a place where it's, I don't know, it's a productive technology just like other technologies are productive. Yeah, I'm saying from a broad technology perspective in the entire world of things that exist, Bitcoin is not an industry right now that is on the top 10 that we need to worry about. But I always compare it to the standard banking industry. MasterCard consumes 2 to 3% of the entire world's energy consumption. Wow. Like 2 to 3%. Really? Yeah, because think about all of the Mac machines that are all over the world. You know, kind of the old-fashioned ATMs, if you will. Think of how many. Oh, yeah. Whenever you think about electricity consumption of technologies, et cetera, there are industries that we know are hugely energy-intensive that we're just not talking about. And I think it's because three of those entities are, are really fun to talk about but are hugely difficult for us as average individuals to change. We've got to make that change immediately rather than theoreticizing about what's going to happen in 20 years when we're very certain of what's happening in the current timeline that we're standing in. So if someone were like, oh, I'm kind of curious about crypto and blockchain, but I feel bad about the energy usage, maybe it would be better to say, like, yeah, don't worry about that so much. Why don't you, like, quit your Uber habit or (laughs) stop shopping at Forever 21 or, I don't know, other things? I mean, to be honest, if someone told me they were really worried about Bitcoin mining, my comment to them would be like, bless you. We have a lot more things to worry about in the next 20 years. <laughs> so one thing I'm not clear of, and maybe you can clarify for me, is there the potential for crypto, blockchain generally, to help with this mission of solving the climate change problem? Do you know? Cool. So here's the fun side of that. The real answer is we don't really know. But we're trying. So Hmm. blockchain specifically as a virtual ledger, right? I kind of call it the easiest form of banking you can kind of invent, right? Yep. The potential for blockchain is actually gigantic when you look at developing countries. Um, A big problem in the clean energy transition has been people who don't have strong credit scores aren't able to build that renewable energy infrastructure they need to power their smaller communities, if you will. Mm. Most of the time, these communities don't even have power. I spent a lot of time in Ethiopia and the Philippines, specifically after Typhoon Yolanda. And whenever you don't have power from four to five hours every single day, your question becomes, you know, how do I just get power to be able to function my daily life? When we look at the potential for blockchain to help take away that credit question for people who don't have it, especially for small farmers in sub-Saharan Africa, blockchain itself uh, can really become a way 
of enabling the financial uh, system of interacting with people who are traditionally left out. Um, Bitcoin itself is something that I haven't seen as many innovative studies as to what what the social novelty of it is. All right, last question for you. We've been framing this season as we've been journeying to Bitcoin country as looking at kind of the hype cycle, the hype that Bitcoin has gone through and then we've gone into the crypto winter, so sort of the next phase on the hype cycle, which is the trough of disillusionment where people are saying this is bullshit. (laughs) Uh, But, of course, the next phase on the hype cycle is the slope of enlightenment. And you have to go up that slope to get to the plateau of productivity. Do you think we're going to make a turn and start going up out of this trough? Um, Well, first off, as an economist, apt description of the technology development kind of life cycle. That was terrific. I would have given you an A in my class. Thank you. (laughs) That was terrific. Slope of enlightenment. I'm loving it. When we look at that, you know, the enthusiast in me wants to say yes. Yeah. I want to say yes. I've spent so much time in developing countries that I'm like, we have to get to a place. And and these technologies seem to be a way of being able to incorporate those nations. Like, I want that to happen. I think if we can, as a whole, convince the crypto community to make sure that they're using hydropower, to make sure that they're using clean energy, for me, that is the direct connection as to what causes that slope of enlightenment. Mm. If we can prove that this is a technology that can develop in a decoupled way from its energy consumption, I think Bitcoin itself and blockchains thereafter can really be used as a platform for sustainability. If they don't, I can quickly see how this discussion about them becoming energy intensive is simply going to squash them. Katrina Kelly Pitu, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was such a delight, such a great chance to get to talk about all these technologies. Environmental economist Katrina Kelly Pitu, and as she said, when it comes to blockchain, or any new technology really, figuring out how to make sure it is environmentally responsible and economically helpful to a community is complex. And when you put that responsibility on the shoulders of small-town mayors and legislators, that they need to decide whether these new technologies should set up shop in their towns, that is a lot of pressure. When we come back, what one incredibly forward-thinking mayor has decided to do about blockchain and Bitcoin in his town right after a quick break. We're back. We've been reporting on the town of Messina this season. When a single Bitcoin hit a high of $20,000, entrepreneurs first flocked to a small city further south that also has access to a lot of cheap power. Plattsburgh, New York. The Bitcoin entrepreneurs wanted to set up their crypto mining factories there and fast. This was a totally new situation, a new industry. And it was up to the lawmakers there to decide how to handle this modern-day gold rush. Should they welcome these crypto folks with open arms? 
give them access to the cheap hydropower, regulate their newfangled factories? Do we have the capacity to sell? Do we understand the long-term consequences of this? Are we getting the job creation that we'd hoped with this very important tool? Colin Reed is a professor of energy, economics, and finance. He also happens to be Plattsburgh's mayor. And Mayor Reed says that the hydroelectric dams built nearby 60 years ago give residents access to a lot of cheap electricity, but not a limitless amount. And so he was really concerned that if the Bitcoin factories set up shop and gobbled up a ton of energy, they would raise the rates for everyone. And his constituents would be seriously pissed off. They might have gone up 60 or 70 percent for that month compared to what normally would have been because a new industry came to town. And it wasn't just higher electricity bills for the locals that worried Mayor Reed. We didn't have the zoning codes in place, the health and safety codes in place. We didn't have the provisions to make sure that these operations were good neighbors. So based on all these concerns, the mayor decided to put the first municipal moratorium in place. A handful of Bitcoin entrepreneurs who had already set up shop could stay, but the rest would have to wait until city officials took a breather to figure out the best way forward. Months later, after studying all their options, Plattsburgh took a radical step. It became the first city in the U.S. to temporarily ban new cryptocurrency mining companies. This was March 2018. Here's a clip from North Country Public Radio at the time. At a packed public hearing last night, a lot of people criticized the companies and supported the moratorium. Here's resident Andrew Gold. You know your electric bill's 100, and all of a sudden it's 130. Why? It's because these guys that are mining the bitcoins are riding into town, taking advantage of a situation. The ban on bitcoin made Plattsburgh a leader in the North Country and other Rust Belt towns, places that also needed to figure out how to deal with crypto entrepreneurs who wanted access to their green energy. But here is the twist. Just last month, Plattsburgh City Council voted to lift the moratorium. The first local crypto mining ban in the U.S. is officially over. Why? Because local leaders came up with a compromise. Crypto miners are welcome to set up shop in Plattsburgh if, and only if, their factories recapture 70% of the heat they generate and pass on that heat to warm local businesses and city buildings. Talk about environmentally enlightened, right? But how the heck are all these Bitcoin factories suddenly going to go green? Well, our producer Thalia Beatty went to find out. She got another tour, this time from a man named Leon Christman. He is the manager of the Plattsburgh headquarters of Coinment that crypto company that we've been following all season. He helped transform another old building into a massive Bitcoin operation there. You want to get online as soon as possible. Nobody wants their miners just sitting in a box while we're ticking around with stuff. Here's Thalia's audio postcard for this episode. Unlike the old aluminum plant in Messina, which we toured in earlier episodes, these buildings were not well-suited for the purposes of crypto mining. What was this building before? Um, originally, this was a department store. It was King's Department back in, like, the 60s. 
and before us it was Diamond Comics. Yeah, because there's a Spider-Man on the wall. Yeah, there is a Hulk and there's a Punisher. And my kids like coming in here, they're like, oh, Spider-Man. I'm like, yep. So, in order to yeah, cool the miners that are whirring away in the background, Coinment installed huge fans and air ducts through the sides of this former department store and through the roof. I climbed up a narrow metal ladder and out a hatch to check it out with Leon. You don't want to do intake from a roof, really. It would be ideal to do intake from below right. and exhaust out the top, but we've poked too many holes in the building for the landlord's liking, so this was our compromise. He said it would be all right to do penetrations through the roof, but uh, no longer any more wall penetrations. So. Yeah, it's like Swiss cheese, and uh, it was such a problem for the other operations in that same building. Swiss cheese. That was Mayor Reed's response when I mentioned the department store turned crypto factory. The potential safety hazards posed by Coinman's alterations to their site were precisely the reason he wanted to see new building codes put in place before any new companies came to town. You know, if these guys would just regenerate the heat that they're using, then we're fine with it. They could heat a gym or a field house or something like that. And then it wouldn't be wasteful because somebody could turn their electric heat off as they turn their Bitcoin machines on. That's one of the ways they can transform their industry. Another crypto mining company, this one founded by a Plattsburgh native, Ryan Brienza, wants to do just that. Lately, I've been trying to work with the city to place an invention of ours, which is this heat recapturing box around the city to heat different buildings for free with the waste heat that we're exhausting into the atmosphere already. This heat recapture box Ryan has built looks like a very large wardrobe. It's made of wood and filled with miners. And the innovation is that it can vent the hot air the miners produce directly into the heating system of a large building. We're hoping that we can place some of these boxes around and make a good story here in Plattsburgh, as well as this being a first demonstration in the world for heat recapturing and heating buildings with cryptocurrency, city-owned buildings, and it will decrease Plattsburgh's electric bill, save the city money, and save taxpayers money. I met Ryan, along with his business partner Tom, and Christian Balin, a professor at SUNY Plattsburgh. They consider themselves together the local brain trust on all things crypto and blockchain. Christian Balin, the SUNY professor, took me over to visit Ryan's crypto company. This is the old imperial wallpaper plant. This is a plant that was just basically defunct. There was no activity in here. And so today, what are you seeing here? You're seeing this place alive. Inside the old wallpaper factory, we came across yet another mining company. This one had declined to speak with me when I contacted them. The noise that you're hearing is from uh, one of the hedge funds. They're running a facility, a data center. XBTO? XBTO, correct. They wouldn't talk to me. Yes, of course they wouldn't <laughs> talk to you. So I'm sure everybody tries to protect what they are doing. So can you peek in there? No, they turned the lights on. Down the hall from the secretive hedge fund, I found Ryan and his heat recapturing invention. So this here is the prototype of our box. Uh, what this box is made to do is uh, capture the heat from the miners. Capture right the heat from the miners and funnel that hot air into the heating system of a public building. 
my goal at the boxes isn't to make really any money off of it. It's just mainly to show Plattsburgh a benefit and bring a good word to cryptocurrency in the town. We can heat some for free, save the taxpayers money, and do something as a first in the world here. Mayor Reed commended Ryan on his proposal when I mentioned it to him. He's doing it right. He's trying to develop a model for heat reclamation. That's the future of trying to do this industry right. That was our producer, Thalia Beatty, in the pioneering city of Plattsburgh, New York. Many thanks to the mayor and everyone there who talked to her about the city's experiment in making Bitcoin more environmentally friendly while welcoming innovation and hopefully giving the city's economy a bit of a boost. It's a pretty enlightened style of local governing, no? I mean, we'll see how it works, but Plattsburgh has definitely gotten itself a mention in the blockchain history books. Okay, in two weeks, the final episode of season three, we have reached the last stage of the hype cycle. And before we go, I need to give you our big news. As you may or may not know, Jen and I used to make a podcast called Note to Self. But when we left WNYC, we also left the show behind. In a surprising turn of events, Note to Self is coming back, and we are co-producing it with WNYC for a new podcasting company called Luminary. This means that our business, Stable Genius Productions, is growing and getting more financially stable, aptly. Uh, Jen and I will tell you more about how we're inching up the slope of enlightenment on an upcoming episode. But meanwhile, the Luminary app is launching soon. You should go to luminarypodcasts.com to see what it's all about. Some other news. Civil has started issuing its cryptocurrency. Yes, it's true. The Civil token. Uh, there's no deadline or anything to buy it. But it's good to see that this experiment to use blockchain to create a new model for funding journalism is going forward. Jen and I got our token grant in our hard wallets. Actually, they might be in our soft wallets. I'm not sure. Um, in any case, if you're still curious, go to civil.co. And finally, the web just turned 30 years old. I want to just say happy birthday, web. Thank you for connecting us. We hope to treat you better in this next decade of your life. I will link to all this stuff in our bitchin' newsletter. You can sign up at zigzagpod.com or just email me, zigzag at sableg.com. This episode was produced by me, Jen Poyant, and Thalia Beatty. Matt Boynton is our audio engineer. David Herman is our composer. Many thanks to Dan DeZula for his help, too. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening. This is what the bottom looks like? It's not that bad. No, it's not bad. 